Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. So what is the gospel? If you've been a Christian for a while, it may seem like a fairly reductionist fundamental question. Or maybe it's one of those questions that you feel like you should know the answer to, but you don't really have a great definition for it. If you're new to, to faith spaces, maybe it's one of those words you've heard thrown around in christian kind of areas, but you've never really thought about what it actually means. Or maybe you feel like Nacho Libre, that everybody looks at you like you don't know a little crap about the gospel, but you do. Whatever your experience is with this word, the scriptures are inviting us to see that the gospel, the way that we tell the story, has so much importance for the way that we live the story. Now, perhaps for those of you who have spent some time in churches, if somebody asks you, what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is that Jesus gave his life for my sins. There's this exchange and it frees me up and I go to heaven when I die. Strong answer. Or maybe John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever should believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. Again, strong, strong answers, but maybe somewhat incomplete. Acts, the book that we have been studying, is helping give form to the gospel story. In many ways, it is a completion of the four books that we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It is the continuation, and it sums up and paints in vivid resolution what the gospel does. And I want to invite us today to consider that the gospel is both content, it is both something that we could define, we could point to the answer, what is the gospel, but it also has this new creation power. The gospel both contains truth and it also creates truth and community and life. And today we wanna look at this in one of the most pivotal chapters in the history of the world. What we see in Acts 10 is nothing short of a revolution. The story takes on a new dimension because the implications of this question, what is the gospel, are brought into a fuller light. So let's look together in Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. One afternoon, at about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? He answered, Your prayers and your alms have descended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had left, He called two of his slaves and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who served him, and after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa. There's much in our cultural discourse around the question of who is centered in a narrative. We are taught to ruthlessly interrogate who does this story place at the center? Who are we being invited to empathize with? to understand, to identify with who is the hero and thus who is the villain. 
And we live in a postmodern world where the only all-encompassing truth is that there is no all-encompassing truth. Now, the biblical story is an exercise in centering those who are seemingly outside, on the outside, and bringing them to the center and the inside of the story, placing them within the coherent story of God's love for the entire world. The biblical story, at the same time, endorses the claims of postmodernism, that perspective and social location are incredibly important to the way that we tell the story and the way that we hear the story. And it pushes back at the same time on the conclusions of the postmodern experiment of our own day by demonstrating that even when multiple perspectives are centered, When multiple perspectives are considered, the wide-angle lens of the grace of Jesus is big enough to bring them all into their bright, focal, and full resolution. Here in Acts 10, we see this beautifully. We, We move from Peter, the rock, the most prominent of the apostles, at Joppa to Caesarea, the capital of the Roman state of Palestine, and we meet a man named Cornelius. Cornelius is described as a member of the Italian cohort, and this means he was likely a Roman soldier of sorts, but not necessarily a legionnaire, not necessarily one of the higher-ranking Roman soldiers. More likely, he's an auxiliary soldier, a Roman citizen, and verse 2 tells us about Cornelius. It says that he is a devout man, and he fears God. And like the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, this man is likely a Gentile who has faith in the teachings of the Jewish faith, but who has not become a proselyte by being circumcised. And one afternoon, Cornelius is there in his home and an angel comes to him and tells him to send for Simon Peter. And throughout the New Testament, angels have only appeared at pivotal junctures in the story. You think about Elizabeth and Zechariah receiving the news from the angel that John the Baptist will be born to them. You think about Mary and Joseph who received the news that Jesus the Messiah will be born to them. Joseph is told by an angel to flee to Egypt because Herod is chasing after his newly born son and the angel also instructs them when to return from Egypt. The women visiting the tomb of Jesus, expecting to find a stone, instead find an angel saying, he is not here, he is risen. What I'm trying to say to you is that when angels show up in the story, it probably signals that something significant is about to happen. And here we see this in Acts chapter 10. Let's go on in verse nine. It says, about noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heavens open and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord. I've never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. The narrative here in Acts 10 then shifts back to Peter in Joppa. The next day, after Cornelius has received his vision, Peter is waiting on lunch when he falls into a trance. Happens to us all the time, right? And in his vision, Peter sees a group of animals that 
places like Leviticus chapter 11, in the the scriptures that Peter would have revered and held dear, these animals are called unclean. The Jewish people were instructed not to eat these animals. They were prohibited by their faith. And he hears a voice as he sees these animals telling him, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter, being a good Jew, even though he has faith in Jesus the Messiah, he has kept his Jewish faith because he understands that Jesus as the Messiah is the culmination of his Jewish faith, not a discarding of that. And so Peter is a good Jew. He sees these unclean animals and he says, no, 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 I don't eat that kind of stuff. But the voice commands him, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. And it says this happened three times because... As we see throughout Peter's life, it often takes him three times for him to get the picture. And the vision ends without resolution. Peter wakes up, often like we do from a dream, just kind of like, what was that about? A little bit perplexed. Well, Peter's about to find out why he received that vision. Let's look in Acts 10, verse 17. It says, Now while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision that he had seen, suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. And they were asking for Simon's house, and they were standing by the gate. They called out to ask whether Peter, who was call, or Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Look, three men are searching for you. Now get up, go down, and go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? They answered, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in and gave them lodging. Now it's fascinating from the perspective of the whole biblical story that this story takes place at Joppa. Joppa was the place where Jonah in the Old Testament, who was also commanded to go to a group of less than favored Gentiles, famously to go as far in the other direction as he could to get away from what God was commanding him to do. But here, Peter is commanded to go to the Gentiles, and instead of running away like Jonah, and even Peter's dad is named Jonah, he's Simon, son of Jonah, But even though Jonah was commanded, Peter receives his command and he doesn't run away. He instead obeys. Now let's go on in Acts 10, looking at verse 23. It says, The next day he got up and went with them, and some of the believers from Joppa accompanied him. The following day they came to Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. On Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him and falling at his feet, worshipped him. But Peter made him get up, saying, Stand up, I am only a mortal. And as he talked with him, he went in and found that many had assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius replied, Four days ago, at this very hour, at three o'clock, I was praying in my house when suddenly a man in dazzling clothes stood before me. He said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon, a tanner by the sea. Therefore I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. So now all of us are here in the presence of God to listen 
to all that the Lord has commanded you to say. Now there's this beautiful point that we reach in the story. Peter is only at Cornelius' house because the Spirit of God told him to go there. As Peter said, it is unlawful for him. It is looked down both from a, a religious standpoint and a cultural standpoint for Peter, a good Jew, to go to the house of a Gentile. It makes Peter ceremonially unclean. It's not something that Peter had probably ever done before. But the Spirit of God has caused Peter to expand his bounds. But the moment we reach in the story that we, uh, Peter arrives at Cornelius' house, both Peter and Cornelius are not really sure why Peter's there. Peter knows that he's been commanded by the Spirit of God to go. Cornelius knows that Peter has something to say to him, and we meet this convergent point. And Peter has only one thing to say. If you ask Peter, tell me your story, tell me what you have to say, Peter immediately goes to the one thing that he knows, that Jesus is Lord. And so Peter goes to that well again. He goes straight to that story. And he is in awe that God would bring him to the household of a Gentile. And it's important here for us to pay attention, both to the story that Peter tells. Listen to the way that Peter announces the gospel message. This brings us back to the question, what is the gospel? And also look at what the gospel does in the lives of those who hear it. Let's look in verse 34. It says, Then Peter began to speak to them, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify, testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter's response to this spirit-inspired collision of cultures is the first glimpse at the revolution that is occurring in Acts chapter 10. He says, I truly understand, perhaps for the first time, that God shows no partiality. Peter hailed and worshiped Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, the one who fulfilled the promises that were given to Abraham and David, the new Moses who had led the people out of the slavery and exile of sin and death. Peter knew that Jesus was the rightful and true Lord of all the earth. But, and this is so important, what Peter had still not grasped, at least at this point in the story, was how what Jesus has done Jesus' lordship, his reign, the fact that he was ascended and reigning at the right hand of the God, the Father, right now, would fulfill the promise that was given to Abraham, that through Abraham's children, through the promise given to him, that Abraham's family would bless the entire world. Peter did not know 
what that blessing looked like. He did not know that that blessing would mean that the same inheritance that the Jewish people were receiving in the early chapters of Acts would then descend upon the Gentiles. The Gentiles, as Acts 10 will show us in just a moment, are not second-hand beggars to the promises of God, to the outpouring of the Spirit of God, to the presence of God. They are welcomed as sons and daughters, heirs to the covenant and to the victory of Jesus. Peter narrates the story of Jesus' life. His life spent healing and casting out demons, his death on the cross and his resurrection. And then he immediately proceeds to describe the community that was to witness to all of these things, particularly the resurrection. He speaks of those who ate and drank with Jesus upon his new life that was given back to him on that famous first Easter day. And then he speaks of the command that they all received to be witnesses, to preach and to testify, to proclaim. Elsewhere, Paul, who we met last week, will say of the gospel, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith. This is Romans 1, beginning in verse 3. For Paul... The gospel has content. The gospel is the announcement of the salvation that has been bestowed upon the entire world because of what Jesus has done. And that content is an announcement of who Jesus is and who we are in light of him. But the gospel not only has content, it also has new creation power. And in Acts 10, we see both the content and the new creation power working in concert. As Peter tells the story, the Holy Spirit falls upon those who hear the word. Cornelius has assembled. He not only gathered to hear what Peter had to say, he knew Peter was coming because of the vision that he had seen from the angel. He gathered everybody he knew not knowing what Peter would say, but knowing that God had something for him. And as Peter declares this good news, this gospel content, the new creation power of God begins to flow. The Holy Spirit falls. The Gentiles receive the promise, the outpouring of the Spirit of Jesus. To say this was unforeseen would be a vast understatement. I mean, think of all that Peter took to just to get to this man's house, an angel, three visions, and a word from the Lord. Peter was so hesitant about going into Cornelius' house, yet because the Spirit of God is the one who pursues every single person, Peter could not stop at the threshold. Peter had to follow God where God goes, and our God is a pursuing, missional God, stopping at nothing. Jesus describes the shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the one. This is the Messiah that we serve and love. The, fur the first Jewish believers, as they, they, they were standing in the afterglow of the resurrection of Jesus, did not begin hatching evangelistic schemes on how they could win the Roman Empire to faith in Jesus. That was not their lens. They didn't understand what it meant to be witnesses that would slowly unfold through the story of Acts. No, they just tried to live out their Jewish faith in light of the fact that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. 
But because the Spirit of God pursues everybody, and that's not just everybody, some faceless mass, that's you and me, that's our neighbors, that's those people that are near and dear to us, that's those people, every single person that we encounter made in God's image, the Spirit of God is pursuing every single person because God loves every single person that he made and he wants them to know themselves in light of his love. The gospel of Jesus is good news for every single person. It is fullness and life. It is transformative power that makes us new in his image. And look at what happens here in Acts 10. It is the power for salvation, as Paul says, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. We see this enacted here in Acts 10. Jesus, the Jew, is pronouncing what Jesus, or Peter, the Jewish uh, follower, is pronouncing what Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, has done. And the Gentiles hear it and receive the good news of the promise. Ecclesia, it is so important for us to hear today, especially especially given the conversations around race and ethnicity in our American context are so fraught with painful history, with violence, with misunderstanding, with hatred and dominance, largely on the part of white people, and is so much of it done in the name of Jesus, it is so important for us to hear today that foundational to the message of the gospel, to the content of the gospel, is the new creation family that it brings about, that it creates in our midst, the new multi-ethnic, multi-class, multi-socioeconomic family that has been brought to bear as a witness to the Lordship of Jesus. And we bear witness to the new creation of Christ by our lives together, by the Spirit working in our lives together, by it bringing those who are seemingly far apart near to each other. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, we are the new creation family of Jesus. We are being invited to bear witness to what Jesus has done in our lives by our love for one another, by the way the Spirit calls us to lay down our preferences, to lay down our comfort, our cultural expectations, and to pick up our cross and to love one another as Jesus loved us. Peter moves from unease. Why did you call me here? Why am I here? To understanding. I truly understand that God shows no partiality. And one of the most striking elements in this story is the very end. Peter good Jew that he is, says that it would make him ceremonial unclean. It's not lawful for him to come to Cornelius' house. Yet because the Spirit of God instructed him to go, he went in obedience. And it says at the end that Peter stays in Cornelius' house, not just for the time of their interaction, not just so Peter can preach to them and walk out the door. No, it says Peter stayed for several days. And I can imagine the conversations they shared, the meals, Peter probably still kept it kosher, but the mutual conversion that is happening as Cornelius and his household awaken to the reality that Jesus is the Savior and Messiah. And Peter, ever so slowly, ever so patiently, awakens to the reality that the horizons of the gospel are endless. They know no bounds. And when we as a people recover our birthright, and this is so urgent for us,
as the church situated in a Western American context here in 2021, as we recover our birthright, when we see the scope of the gospel story, then we can truly be a sign and a wonder to a world that there is a way beyond polarization. There is a way beyond cheap unity or tolerance. Nothing short of the Spirit of God will save and transform us. Nothing short of the Spirit of God will draw us out of our comfort zones to unexpected places and people. The Spirit of God will call us to lay down our preferences, our designs of consumer Christianity, the things that we want in order to live in community with our neighbor who may not think like us, look like us. The Spirit of God is calling us to expand our bounds. And we see Jesus, his life poured out, the content of the gospel, his life, his death, his resurrection. He has confronted the powers of darkness and he has overcome them by his love. And we see the new creation that is then brought to bear by the Spirit of God poured out on all flesh. The Spirit of God is calling us to receive the beautiful content, the good news of the gospel, and to be transformed by it. Our God is a God who pursues every single person, who empowers us to live outside of the realm of our cultural defaults and to move in power and in love towards those who we may have deemed far off. By his love, he has brought us near. He has broken down the wall of hostility which divides us, and he has made us into a new creation family, a temple of living stones bearing witness to the love of God in our midst. May we go and do likewise. May we listen for the voice of the Spirit in response to the promises of our God. And may we live as a sign and a wonder a people defined by the table of Jesus, not by our chosen tables, not seating at tables that Jesus would have turned over, but taking a seat at his table, surrounded by people that we know as our neighbors, surrounded by people that we know as our sisters and brothers, because he has made us into a new creation family. Grace and peace. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.